Amen. Well, it's so good to see you guys. It's amazing. Uh, thank you for coming with us. You know, we put the announcement out there, hey, bring your lawn chairs. And then in my, my silly, doubtful self, I'm like, I really hope we need lawn chairs. I really hope we need those extra chairs. And we have. It's just so amazing to see this community coming back together at this time. And we're so thankful that our government has, yeah, agreed with us that uh, we can do this safely and be blessed. Uh, we're in such a good place right now. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for coming. I trust that this is just an encouragement for one another. Uh, just thank you for everyone who's been praying for us as a leadership team over this whole time. This right here today is super encouraging, um, as, and we hope that it's an encouragement for you as well uh, in, in equal proportion, and I think that's what God does through community, right? That's some of the things that uh, we've, we've lost this time, and it's such a privilege, just kind of luck of the draw, uh, that I was able to get to speak today, but again, such a privilege uh, to see all your faces uh, here today. And, you know, uh, Nate mentioned it earlier on, you know, you still got to register your kids because we're rebuilding teams. And I guess sort of the next phase for us now, if we are in different phases, is that we're now in this phase of rebuilding together. We're now in this phase of, okay, we're coming out of one season into another and now exploring afresh what God wants to do again. Does it feel like a new season for you? It feels like a new season for me. And... This, I've just, as has been preparing, as I've been seeking, as we found out that, that uh, my opportunity to preach would, would happen on this day, that we got to invite more people out, I've just been feeling this gravitational pull to a certain section of Scripture. I've been just, you know, exploring different ideas, and I wasn't picking a particular, this was on my heart even before um, knowing that this Sunday would be it, but I just felt that gravitational pull towards Philippians 1 and 2. And uh, you know how you're trying to, I got all these, I wouldn't say great ideas, I have some ideas in my head about, I want to preach on this, I want to preach on that, and I try and prepare on a different verse, and I try and go over here, and God would just keep bringing me back to this place. Uh, the, the message that Paul, one of the apostles of Jesus, uh, was writing a letter to the church there. So if you have your Bible with you, if you've got your phone, uh, I do I encourage you, bring a physical Bible if you have one. Uh, we're going to be camping out. You can just turn straight to uh, Philippians 1 and 2, and just on the one or two pages there in your Bible, we're going to be sticking there to see what encouragement God has for us today. And this is a super encouraging letter as well for me. Maybe some homework after the service is to go and read the rest of Philippians. You can read it. It's short. You can just go through it. Super encouraging in this time. But the writer Paul, um, as he was in many times of his life, was actually in prison at the time. He was held captive, uh, different things. He was, you know, a citizen, but he was held captive for what he was doing. And one of the sobering things just first in Philippians uh, chapter 1 from verse 12, he says this about his captivity. But first, that, has anybody been in prison before? No, I won't ask that. I've never been in prison before. I'm sure it's fine. We've we got people in our community who've experienced things and have come out of it, and God's doing amazing things. Um, but... Many of us haven't been in prison, but with that feeling of being captive this year has maybe taken on different senses for each one of us. Each of us has had a different experience, but Paul from his captivity, maybe a much more harsh captivity, probably a much more harsh captivity than what we've experienced in the last 16 months, said this about what God was doing. He said this in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I'm like, wow. Paul's a positive guy. He's got a sunny disposition, maybe. I don't, I'm, not some, I'm not acquainted with a sunny disposition normally. Uh, that's Deborah's job and my, my wife's job and different things. But Paul knew, anyway, in this case, that God was doing something through his captivity. You know, no one would be troubled if he said, Hey, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ to the Philippians, can't wait to see you sometime. See you soon. No one would have trouble with that. But he said, I can't, he didn't say, I can't wait to get out so we can start moving forward again. No, he knew that during his captivity, Jesus was taking ground and God had him in that season for a reason. Even though it wasn't put in place by God, even though it was put in place by man and the enemies of God, Paul knew that Jesus was doing something through his captivity. And how many of us have had that perspective over the last year? We sat with a couple, me and my wife, uh, just last week and got to speak to them. And, you know, as you do, and, you know, they were keenly interested on what's happening at church, all this other stuff. And we were talking about all the difficulties. But actually, at the end of the conversation, we came down to and we're like, okay, how, what has God done this year? And they were like, actually, I feel deeper, more deeply rooted in God, more assured of his purposes over my life, and more keen to go forward in what the gospel is calling us than we ever had before. Who's had a similar experience to that this year? I can tell you from myself, I have had that experience. There have been highs, there have been lows, but as I look at my relationship with God today, I know that this hasn't been a season to forget. This is a season that God has put deep roots within us. We're trusting as he's healing us out of this season. I love playing, playing video games, not anymore because I've got kids, so there's... Just young men know that when kids come, your video games are over, hopefully, because you need to pay attention to them. But you loved having those cheat codes as a kid. I, I was a kid, if a, if a game didn't have cheat codes, I didn't want to play that game. I was like, I really, I've got to use my own skill and attention. I just want the cheat code. I just want the God mode where you can't kill me, and I can just have fun. And it wouldn't be nice to press the reset button on 2020. How many of you, if you got the opportunity to go back in time 16 months and eradicate, you know, take your Lysol wipe out and eradicate COVID, the first bit of COVID-19 would do that? We probably all would. Paul's putting his hand up. He's not agreeing with me this morning so far. But we know that even though that's just a silly hypothetical, we know that God is doing something. That actually, maybe God doesn't want to press the reset button just quickly this year. Maybe God wants to do something through this season. In 2 Timothy 2.9, we don't have the, the word for the screen, but Paul says this in another letter. He says, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. The word of God, the spirit of God, the movement of God has not been bound in these last 16 months. And God is living, he's working, and we're going to start to come to a realization of everything that he's done in these next few years. As we look back and we realize, no, he did this, he taught us that. In some senses, we don't really know what's waiting for us on the other side. There's been a lot of uncertainty, and maybe there's a bit more certainty now. But in Philippians, just on from that, in verse 18 in chapter 1, he says, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Again, he's still in prison here. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So wait, just earlier there, he says in assurance that Christ will turn out this current situation for my deliverance. But then in the very next sentence, he again states something that appears opposed to that. He says, whether by life or by death, Paul, not even knowing the outcome of his imprisonment and what waits for him if he can get, ever get out of that room that he's being held captive in, knows that Christ will deliver him, but in which way he does not know. He says this in verse 21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How many of us have heard that verse before? If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. And for us, as we've come, come out of COVID, we don't know how long this is going to last. We don't know if there's going to be another thing or whatever. We don't know certainty that we can stay increasing. But we know this, that just like Paul in his captivity, that Christ will deliver us. Why did Paul know that? Because he knew that the purposes and plans of God, man or a pandemic or a closed prison door or an imperial guard could not stop it. And don't we stand in the fruit of that today? How many Christians are there around the world? How many churches are there opening up again around the world? In Paul's time, a very small number. In our time, there is a chorus of voices that sung praises to Jesus this morning around the world that outnumbers so many other things. How much did Paul think about that in his imprisonment? That whatever happens, God is achieving a greater victory. He wouldn't have known that there would be a bunch of people on the other side of the world, a country, a landmass that he didn't even know about, that no one had ever found on this, or from that side of the world yet. But God was doing something through it. God wins in every, any scenario. Paul said that, if he were to stay in prison, well, God wins because the guards are going to know my Redeemer. If I die, then I win because I get to be with God. And if I get released back to life, then you guys who I'm writing the letter to win because I'm coming to you with the message of Christ. Whatever three of the options, Paul saw victory over each one. And in each of our scenarios, in the many different scenarios that are here this morning, some that are in st experiencing that victory. Paul's very happy to be here this morning. And, and other people are very happy to be here. But there's some of us that are still dark, in the dark, deep situation. Some of us that still don't feel comfortable. Some of us that are still stuck without work and are wondering about the next paycheck and are wondering about the next mortgage that needs to be paid. In every scenario, God wins. The message this morning is to encourage us into community. And I say that as an intro because our main text begins here. Let's turn again to Philippians 1 and then into verse 27. And there's a chapter division here between verse, uh, chapter 1 and 2, but it shouldn't be there. It just flows. It's one thought, one argument. Let's read about this, and let's keep in mind the seriousness of Paul's situation. Again, he was just talking about life and death, and this is the very next thing he chooses to encourage the church. Again, he's going through a life or death situation, so what he's got to say next is probably pretty important. 
He says this in verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Okay, that sounds pretty serious. Okay, life or death, let your life be worthy of the gospel of of Christ Jesus. So that whether I come to see you or an absent, I may hear that you are... Okay, hang on. What would you say is a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you didn't read the next few sentences... I would probably answer that before studying this, that, you know, uh, living a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, that's probably living by faith. That's probably eradicating sin in my life. That's probably, you know, being generous with my money and blessing people. That's probably all of that stuff. But interestingly, where Paul goes, and the, the, the rest of Scripture does talk about this, but today for what Paul has to say, he points to something else that he knows is vital Uh, for this community, and is what he is defining as a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. What does he say? He says that I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side or shoulder to shoulder for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Your unity is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but a a clear sign, but of your salvation and that from God. To me, that's a surprising that Paul would say the very walk of life that is worthy of the gospel. Again, this isn't being saved or unsaved. He's just saying, this is really important. If we're going to claim to be a saved community, if we're going to be claimed to be a redeemed people, this is our lifestyle. This is how this works. This is one of the most important things. And he's talking about community. The first thing, and what a happy Sunday that this is as we get to come back to community in different forms. The first thing he says about the walk that is worthy of the gospel of Christ, that is, it's standing firm in one spirit. If you get the picture of standing firm, what what does standing firm mean that's coming against you? Opposition, right? If you've got to stand firm, it means you've got to stand firm against something. Maybe it's against the weather, the conditions, sickness, or or opposition, or anything, but he's saying in community, the gospel-focused life, the gospel Uh, The manner of life that is worthy of the gospel is standing firm together in, sorry, standing first, first together in one spirit. The next thing he says is actually on the other foot. It's offensive. And I don't mean offensive like I've offended you, but it's offensive like, I don't know, like fighting, right, Darren, or playing some sport which I know nothing about, more on that later. Um, But with one mind striving side by side. So again, he says, first community helps us to defend. And then right after that, right next, he says, you know what, community helps us to attack. And it's attack like Jesus, not take out the sword, it's take out the love, take out uh, going to the people. Offensive, it's an offensive word, it's a going, it's striving side by side by side. And isn't that the encouraging piece that is here for this morning? I got to say, I think, you know, one of the, we've all found these, these times difficult and different in different ways. But one of the th- ways for me is that when you take my brothers away from me, when you take the people away from me, even in the, the period of time where even though I work here and the office staff weren't in the office, I felt huge discouragement at certain, on certain days in that time. Anybody else? 
felt discouragement in this season? Myself, if you take those people away, and guess what? As people started coming back, I started to be encouraged. I started to lift my eyes back up. I started to see, and today, again, the encouragement is that we get to encourage one another to help defend and to help go, striving side by side. He says next that those two things, the defending and the offending, it's all for the faith of the gospel. And church, I want to challenge us, and we'll probably do this more in the coming weeks as we sort of, again, press that rebuild button or press that button and and, and go back um, to what we were doing before. But where are we going? Okay, what we've clearly wanted in this time is to get back together. Okay, but now we're back together. What now, right? What now? Why are we here? It's for the faith of the gospel. It's for the people who aren't here yet. It's for more of those amazing baptisms that we just had. Standing firm for the gospel and striving side by side for the gospel, not frightened by our opponents. And I feel like it's so challenging that he says, just finishes up that section, that this is a clear sign of their destruction, the world's failing, but it's also a clear sign of your salvation. What does that mean? I, th- I, think, I think what he means by that, it's a clear sign to those who are outside, who those who don't have yet a faith. It's a clear sign that something supernatural is happening in this place. And I think for us as a church in this season, maybe a focus for us amongst the many things is to, to focus on what a supernatural God-given community looks like again. Did our relationship survive COVID? Did we stay connected? Yes, we couldn't stay connected with everyone. But were those people, were we asking people, were we going out? And each of us haven't fulfilled that bar, maybe. But God is using that as a call back. And we're transitioning into a time of rebuilding. So sad the news, and I don't know, I hesitate to to bring it up here today, but um, the building in Florida that collapsed last week, right? Devastating, devastating things and praying that people get found, although, yeah, devastating. If a, if a building isn't built properly, if a building is built on weak foundation or if it once was built on weak foundation, but then something happened and it wasn't kept up with, disaster strikes. And thank goodness we live in, you know, first world countries where this is very extremely, extremely, extremely rare but devastating when it happens. And I think in the same way that God wants us to rebuild, God wants us to look, God wants us to seek, okay, what was highlighted to this year? What difficulties did you find this year in, the, in, in community? And how can you live in a new way to correct those things? The onus is on us to connect it. And starting out in Philippians 2, Paul gives us four tools to build community afresh again with. Just one thing, one maybe sidebar here is that we often say, and I've said this many times, maybe even from the front, is that, you know, come to church and find community. Come to church and find where you belong. Come to join a connect group and find your people, your youth group, or anything like that. And I was listening uh, many months ago of just someone, and they said, you know what? Community is never found. It is always built. You can find community for a few weeks. You can go to a connect group and be the new person for a few weeks. But 
After the first few weeks, guess what? Somebody else new turns up, and all the diligent people now turn their attention to that person and welcome and hug and other things, and and the newness goes away. And many times I've seen people enter community, and about six, eight months later or a year later, they they start to, to fall away. And I think we get tricked into this thing is that, oh, I found a community. Ah, this is just going to happen. This is just going to work. No, community is built just like a building. There's a materials. And Paul is going to tell us exactly what we need to build with in this time. He says this, starting in chapter 2, but it's the same frame of thought. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, he's talking about himself, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Can you sense the attitude of Paul here as he, as he talks? He, says, he begins it with, so if there's any encouragement of Christ, he's, he's sort of saying, okay, you, you don't feel connected. Maybe you feel weak, but do you have any encouragement in Christ? What's the obvious answer? Yes, right? Is the story of Christ and what God has done for you encouraging? Yes, it is. Open your eyes. Being encouraged by the life and the work of Christ, being encouraged, you know, focusing our eyes back on Jesus in this worship encourages us. And it encourages us and gives that encouragement to build. We need to build on Christ. How many times within Scripture does Scripture talk about Christ as Jesus Christ, as being the cornerstone? And how many, we sang that song this morning, right? Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. It's where everything, if you put a brick down when you first build, I know nothing about building, it's probably different today. But in Jesus' day, you put the first brick down, the cornerstone, and you build out from there. Jesus is the cornerstone of our community. And if there is any encouragement in that cornerstone, let it work itself out in your unity. Next, he says this, is there any comfort from love? Is there love in the house here this morning? Is there? There's a degree, maybe. There's a degree of love. There's a pretty weak-willed love that we just heard there. Wow. Um, No love for the preach, maybe. Oh, my goodness. Um, Is there any comfort from love? One scholar said, you know, is this the love of God coming down to us? Or is this the love of us going out to other people? You know, what is Scripture saying here? Is there any comfort from love in your community? And the the scholar answered this, that it's both. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4, we were there a few weeks ago, he says, God of all comfort. So this is how love works in our community. God of all comfort. So God is of all comforting love to us, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. God comforts us in our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted from God. So what does that mean from our community? Is That means that if God loves you, you need to experience that love for yourself. You need to get in God's presence daily. You need to work that out. You need not ignore it. You need to let it in, and then you need to turn up to to communities of Christian believers so you can pour that out on the needy and the hungry. And that's one of the amazing things about community is that we're all at different levels of comfort. We're all at different levels of need. And God builds us together as a body for that circle of love that all flows from Him, but then is spread out from one another. Any 
Is there any participation in the Spirit? Is the Spirit here today? Yeah. Hey, man, a bit stronger on that one. Wow, you're getting stronger. Good job. We'll figure this out again. We've got to rebuild. Good, good. Any participation of the Spirit? And, God, and Paul's kind of hourly question, is the Holy Spirit even amongst you guys? If he is, it should build itself out in a single-minded community that shares love, being of full accord. And then I love this because if it was me, I would have said, okay, stop there. You've got your three points. You've got starting with Christ. Okay, we've got Christ. That's good. Then we've got the love from God. That's good. You've got two out of three. And then you've got the participation of the Holy Spirit. We've got the whole Trinity in the house. Perfect. But then Paul, for some reason, adds one more. And I'm saying one more because it's kind of the way the Greek word works here. But then he says, any affection and sympathy? I had to scratch my head around that. I was like, why add? Why complete the picture of the Trinity there and add two and add one more thing at the end? I don't really know the whole answer. I just know that he did. And, <laughs> but for me, it's easy to say, hey, BJ, I love you, man. I love your worship. But there's no, there's no test of that love. How many times do we say we love people? Or how many times that we, you know, we press that, you, yeah, I love you, uh, but we just haven't spoken of the, the whole of COVID? You know, I got a best friend, my best friend in England growing up. We never speak until we're physically together and there's love there, but maybe not the best example of good community, but guys are kind of like that when, when long distance. Um, but I love that scripture that God adds this. Is there any affection and sympathy? And I think that's important for us to know, right? That this body of believers is sympathetic towards one another. You know, there's a great group of people here this morning that are so encouraged that, you know, first Sunday back open, you're here, you're with us. And there's another group of believers, there's other people who are a little more hesitant. And we sometimes can have attitudes towards those people. They can feel those things, even if it's unsaid. I've heard many situations where, oh, I went to this person's play and I was like, I just felt awkward. It just felt like we were on different pages of, of what we thought was appropriate at this time. Totally. That's going to happen in community. But Paul says that, that, that community built on Jesus, on God, and of the Holy Spirit has affection and sympathy for one another. I'm not an affectionate person by nature, but probably the person I'm most affectionate with, I will say, is probably my son, or intentionally affectionate. I have a wife as well. I, I, I'm very, hopefully very affectionate towards my wife. But, you know, we're, we're, we're 10 years married, we're getting in, we've got, you know, we've got a rhythm, we've got it all going. But with my son, he's just turned four years old. We have to figure it out. Because what am I doing to my son? I, I'm disciplining him sometimes. I'm yelling at him sometimes. His sister's screaming on the floor and he's got a foot in his, her face or something like that. And there's consequences and there's things that happen. But I'm so intentional that in that hard, loving situations that I've got a poor affection over my boy as well. And we have this relationship of conflict, but then huge affection and sympathy for one another. You know, if I didn't pick up my boy when he fell off his bike, and certain I, sometimes I run, sometimes I casually stroll, sometimes I could go a little quicker, maybe. But he's got to learn. He's four years old now. He can grow up. No, but if I showed no sympathy, if I showed no affection... What kind of love would that boy grow up with? Maybe some of us have had parents like that, where we got the tough love, where we got what was technically love, but we didn't get the sympathy and the affection. I think that's one of the challenges for us here this morning, that we need to be a sympathetic people and an affectionate people. What does affection look like for us as a community? I'll let you work that out. 
And all of those things point us to being of the same mind, the same love, and being in full accord, which just means, again, being unified, being in solidarity, being in agreement. There's been so much disagreement this year, (laughs) right? Has Oceanside Church done everything perfectly? Say yes, you better. No, we haven't. Guess what? Because we're people, we're leaders. Even our leaders, leaders' meetings, we're like, oh, well, should we do this? Should we do that? No one, no one during COVID has had that perfect way that they, they would have done it. We've all had to figure this out. We've all had to compromise, even when we thought the compromise was an attack. But God is calling us to unity. God is calling us to now go somewhere. He wants us to strive side by side. In the next two verses, and actually this Philippians uh, 1 to 4, it's actually one long sentence. There's no breaks there, but our translations break it up a little bit. Paul says this next. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. The default setting for ourselves is self, right? The default setting. I, I was trying to think of a good example of something that you do every day that you just, or you always change that default setting because it bugs you. For me, it's when I get in the car, I couldn't think of anything really serious. So just when it, and all my examples resolve around conflict with my wife, so I apologize about that. But uh, she's not here, so she can't defend herself. But she, she always sets the car seat setting wrong, worse. It's terrible. Not just forwards and backwards, but she raises the, she lowers the front of the seat. Because our car, for some reason, you can do that. Um, and I always raise it back up. There's, there's some things that we always have to t- change the default setting on because it's just not right. For ourselves, for our human flesh, with that default setting that is always wrong, that we need to daily think about and change, is being selfish. Is not being counting others more significant than ourselves. He says, let each of you not only look to your own interests, but also the interests of others. And he says this word, conceit. You know, conceit is just self-centeredness, self-importance. Selfishness ruins God's community. It ruins all relationships. The other, again, to bring my wife back into the picture, but she's a nurse. She was working an overtime shift. How do you know? How many of you know the hospital was really busy over the heat wave? Record numbers in our ER. Well done, Darren. He's a ER doctor. Any other medical professionals here? Well done. Anyway, I think on Tuesday morning, um, she was coming back from the hospital, and she had taken the wrong car. She had taken the car with the kids' seats in it. And I needed to get to work. You know, very important work here. Can't be late. Mike will yell at me. And uh, i got to drop the kids off at things. I need to leave at 8 8 a.m. sharp. And she finishes at 7.30, usually it works out fine. And she wasn't home till after 8. And I was just, I was so bugged. I was like, I got the kids ready. For once, I've got the kids ready. They're dressed. They even brushed their teeth today. Well done, Dad. And she's not here. And she walked in the door, and I scowled at her. And she picked up a letter that was on the table that was waiting for her that got delivered the day before. And she opened it. I'm like, what are you doing? we got to get the kids in the car. we got to go. And she, in an instant shut me down. And in an instant, I knew I was completely, completely wrong. And I was like, hang on, nurse, heat wave. She's late. Does she want to be late? No. How easy is the default self of selfishness to get caught up with, even when I've got very important things to do with my day? 
We need to give that thing. Selfishness ruins relationships. We need to ask ourselves as we come back into community, why are we here today? Why did we actually turn up today? Why do we lead that connect group? Why do we go to that connect group? Do we, do we just go when we, we need to feel a bit better, when we need sort of a pickup? Do we just come when it's convenient? Or do we come because we are there to bless other people? Because we actually count. It's funny because sometimes we don't model church in this way that actually you need to be here for the interests of those other people. But what that looks like in our community now, because there's so many new faces, is that when we break, when we end, you need to look for the other people, the people that are lonely, the people that look like it might be their first time here. Again, community is not found. It's built. And just to end here, later on in Philippians 3, and again, read the rest of this book, and maybe the the band can just lead us in a couple songs as we finish today, and maybe there's more baptisms out there as well. But let's read Philippians 3. Let's just turn there. Paul says this, and there's other, other bits here, but he says this, and I think he's pointing back to, to everything that he's written. He says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We know that verse well. It's like the verse, it's like our youth verse. That's the verse that we point them to always and continuously. We're not perfect. We haven't, Paul wasn't perfect. He hadn't already obtained it. But guess what he did? He picked himself out and always, even in this letter, looked for the upward call of Jesus Christ. He looked for the call and he pressed on. Church, are we going to pick up ourselves and dust ourselves off and and forget the things that have really bugged us? The things that that person offended us with or the things that church leadership didn't do right at the right time or they made the wrong decision, they didn't do this. There's so many things. But guess what? And maybe we do need to flesh some of that out. But guess what? There's more important things. There's the things that we are pressing on towards. There's record drug addiction in our cities. There's wildfires that are going to displace many, many people. We need to uphold our school teachers in the public school system as they they try to reconcile teaching the very word of God even when our cultures go in the other direction. There's whole ways of our culture that feel the church has failed them, historically and presently. There is so much work to be done. And yes, we're back here, and yes, it feels good to be back in community. But our community needs to do something. It needs to show the world what salvation looks like. A saved people live differently, live with different priorities. We need to challenge ourselves. We need to get out of our comfort zone. This whole season has been uncomfortable, but we're not coming back for more comfort. Yes, God is of all comfort, and this place, there should be comfort. But there needs to be comfort in this place because we are pressing forward, because we are taking ground, because we are doing things that we might not choose to do. 
for the upward call of Jesus Christ. Are we going to go, church? Are we going to put our hands back on the plow? Still figuring out maybe what the plow is. (laughs) That's okay. We'll get there. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord. Let's ask him what he wants to do.